Welcome to Aeon's HR Talks podcast series, where we'll be covering a range of hot topics in company benefits, rewards, and well-being. In each episode, we'll be talking to experts in the field to hear their thoughts on key trends and themes, and to share actionable insights. I'm your host, Olga Paskins from Aeon, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Today, we will be talking about the challenges that employers and employees face related to aging population. We know that this is a growing issue and the COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted this amongst many others. To better understand the impact of this megatrend that the employers need to consider and act upon, I am pleased to introduce Mark Whitty from Aon, who will hopefully shed some light on the issues and potential solutions. Welcome Mark to the podcast. To start, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks Olga. Hi everyone, I'm Mark Whitty and I'm Head of Propositions and Consulting for the UK's health business of Aon. So Mark, what is the data telling us about the impact of the ageing population? Yeah, okay. Um, first of all, let's just reflect on one of your opening comments there, perhaps about this being a key issue of employers to consider. In all honesty, I think this probably still doesn't sit right at the top of the priority list for many employers. Let's face it, they've had a, probably had more than enough pressing and immediate worries this past year or so. However, I think there are a few looming demographic trends that make the ageing population, one issue that's only going to increase in focus in the years ahead. Specifically, there are three data points, I think, to call out here, Olga. The first is the dominant one, which is that in the UK, average life expectancy has increased from 75 to 81 over the past 30 years. And projections are that that's going to continue to rise up to as much as perhaps 85 by 2040. Now, associated to that, we have the fact that on average, for around the last 13 to 15 or so of those years, we will be in a state of less than perfect health, I'm afraid, some of which might still need to be spent while at work, particularly when given the impact of extending working lives and the need to fund retirement. And then the final trend is the one that says, for the first time, we now have more people of working age with elderly dependents than child dependents. And again, a combination of the ageing population and flat birth rates means that ratio is only going to accelerate further. So, Olga, we also have an elder care issue. That really does sound staggering, particularly when you put it in the context of the workplace. It's really worrying, isn't it? It really is. And, and I guess right now, many employers might not be fully understanding or be ready to fully take on this challenge. But if I were trying to grab an employer's attention and translate some of those scary stats into more tangible ways to illustrate this key issue and make it real, I think there are a number of ways we can call out the impact both on an individual and indeed an organisational level, talking to resilience. So for an employer and closest to our insurance routes here for one moment, higher average ages amongst insured populations simply represents an increased risk of claim. It's going to drive up underlying rating and therefore premiums on benefits such as life assurance, income protection and medical. And costs may be further impacted by increased actual claim numbers, especially when little is being done to mitigate the impact of ageing on employees' underlying state of health. But we also know many employers are looking to reduce such risks through wellbeing programmes, aid at engagement, and changing health behaviours for the better. And I guess clearly, changes to the modern pension landscape has meant that employers are faced with some tough decisions about how best not only to fund retirement income for their staff, but also how they can support the extended financial wellbeing experience through all its phases. So that's through an employer lens, but on an individual level, we're faced with some of the same challenges and employers will need to figure out what role they want to play here as well whether it's how to mitigate the impact of poor health as we move into our later years, whether it's support with us funding retirement, 
or the challenge of being in that sandwich generation we talked about earlier, coping with dual responsibilities for care, with that shift increasingly moving towards elder care responsibilities. You've mentioned elder care a few times now, Mark. Would you be able to tell us a bit more about that? What is it and what do we see in this space? Yeah, sure. I think we need to acknowledge perhaps the biggest future challenge of those key trends we've just called out could well be that of elder care. Why do I say that? Okay, so here are some of the stats that I think reinforce that particular point. So one in seven of the working population are currently balancing work with a caring role, and that ratio is going to increase to one in six within the next five years. 84% of those carers feel more stressed than previously, with their emotional and financial well-being particularly affected. Half of those numbers report that they have suffered from depression as a result of their caring role. And each year, 350,000 people leave the workplace just so they can manage caring responsibilities. One final real showstopper here, Olga, that's worth a comment. The estimated value of the unpaid carer industry in the UK is £132 billion a year. That is truly staggering. How has the pandemic impacted all this? Yeah, I think that's a good question as well, Olga, and, and it's one that's probably best illustrated by some data which we can lean upon from Carers UK. And this has shown that carers already under pressure pre-lockdown have found these exaggerated further by the ongoing situation. They need to devote more time. The needs of their dependents are greater. They were less able to rely on support from other sources. And all of this, again, affecting emotional, physical and probably financial well-being. There probably has been some evidence of positive outcomes from the lockdown, with some carers able to vote more time as a result of new ways of working and increased flexibility. But I think in the longer term, though many employers and employees will need to reassess this as part of that future of work conversation, will such flexibilities remain financially and logistically viable? Really interesting, Mark. What about the state's position on this issue? Can we actually expect this support to be sufficient? Aha, time to carefully step aboard the political soapbox. Okay, so support from the state is clearly available. But as I think we've seen highlighted more than ever this past 12 months, the state cannot be relied upon indefinitely to fully carry the burden for health and welfare. Can't do it alone. Pre-pandemic, there was already about a £4 billion shortfall in annual funding, and that position hasn't got any better. And whilst there's been consultation on formalising carers' leave that was completed last year, action still remains outstanding and pending and when it does arrive it's still unlikely to meet the demands of all. So I think for those employers who do acknowledge the value in providing support beyond that as what is available from the state, the challenge they're going to face is going to be effectively sourcing, coordinating, communicating a range of support from other sources. So what can they actually do about it? What can the employers do about it? Yeah again that's a really interesting question Olga and I think it's fair to say that for many This is still early days, and unlike other areas of the the health and protection landscape, this is one where currently there isn't a robust, mature portfolio of solutions already in play. However, we know that more and more suppliers and insurers are developing products and services, and that these could fit in around an evolving range of internal practices and policies to build an ageing population ecosystem, one that promotes healthy behaviours to increase healthy life years, that supports financial wellbeing at all stages, that offers support, flexibility and advice to those faced with complex care requirements and ultimately perhaps one that provides access to a range of alternative funding or insurance solutions for varying mid to long term care needs. Wow, we have unpacked a lot in our conversation. I suppose to close off, Mark, 
What are the top three things that the employer could do, having listened to this conversation today, in order to help them address the challenges related to ageing population? Yeah, well, hopefully some of these insights will stimulate a little more debate on this issue in the months ahead. Um, Certainly from an employer's perspective, there is a lot to gain from getting on the front foot on this issue. A good proactive strategy here will target employee absence and especially presenteeism. I think it will mitigate and manage costs in a variety of areas. And I also think it will help to form the really core part of a modern and relevant employee value proposition, targeting things that really matter to employees. And we haven't called this out yet, but I think it's worth uh, worth flagging that supporting care in particular plays a central role or should play a central role in many diversity, equality and inclusion programs in the years ahead. I, I mentioned that sandwich generation, but data also shows that the burden of care falls especially heavily on female workers and those on low incomes. Four times as many females leave the workforce each year for caring responsibility as males. So for me, three things to call out that employers perhaps should immediately focus on would be understand your people through data and through what they're telling you. Listen to the voice of your employees. I think we need to take a look at what you already have in place and how you can better communicate and engage your employees to obtain full value from existing services and policies. I think finally, make sure there's a dedicated strategy in place to continue to support and involved with this growing issue. Where, where are you strong? Where is there still areas for improvement? Where are the gaps? And importantly, what solutions are out there from whatever source that can help your organisation and, and their people? Thanks, Mark. This has been a really informative conversation. Thank you for your time. If you enjoyed today's conversation, look out for more HR Talks episodes from Aon. If you have any questions or would like to find out more, please email us at letstalkbenefits at aon.co.uk or head to our website aon.co.uk forward slash employee benefits.